the whole crew here, Brando, Alex, and Drew. And we just finished a very not pretty basketball game, if you ask me. Uh, the Vols barely pulled off the win. First SEC road opener against Ole Miss, 63-59. Um, the first half was absolutely abysmal. The second half was okay. Um, I have a bunch of stats on the game, but I just want to hear y'all's first impression. Oh, yeah. Like that first half defense is, you know, like something that we haven't really kind of seen all season. We've kind of been spoiled with that, you know, lockdown D. Um, you know, not really great the first half. Uh, it you my TV? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm watching Kentucky get spanked. Give me a second. But, um, yeah, man, I thought overall – just, you know, the second half was definitely way better. Viscovi came in clutch, and our, our down low men, Jonas Adu and Kamwa, huge presence down low. So I was happy to see that. Alex, I'm He's nice. you want it, Drew, or you want me to go? You go, you go first. You okay. Go. I only got to watch the first half because I had to do a whole bunch of running around. My, uh, my SIM card decided to quit working today, so I had to go drive around for like three hours in Miami with no uh, no communication. But, yeah, the first half was horrible, and then I actually got to tune in for, like, the last minute. But uh, we got to start – we got to stop, like, starting slow. That was the same thing that that plagued the football team. But once we kind of got our feet under us and weren't playing on our heels as much, we we decided to be the number seven team in the country. And, hey, a win's a win. It don't matter how ugly it is right now. Starting off conference play 1-0, you can't be too mad about that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, that was the worst first half of basketball I have seen in quite some time from a Rick Barnes team. Um, man, fucking Euros. I'm I, like <laughs> I told you guys in the chat, I'm done with the guy. He's just he's he's a complete liability. We might as well be playing with four guys out there when he's on the court. Um, but man, give props to Jonas Adu though, especially in the second half, you know, finishing up with eight points and thirteen rebounds. He was one of the most important guys for us in those final ten minutes as well. And uh Another huge game from Viscovi. I mean, if it wasn't for him, there's no doubt that we would lose that game for sure. So, as terrible as it was, they bounced back tremendously in that second half. And, you know, anytime you get a road win in the SEC and start off 1-0, it's hard to complain. But, uh, man, they they got to improve on a lot of things coming, especially next Saturday against Kentucky. Yeah, so Viscovi came up huge for us, obviously. He had 22 points, but super rare night for him. He only shot 42.9 from the free throw line. Uh, he normally averages 80. I'm not sure what the hell is happening there. Also, this is abysmal. The other four starters combined for a total of 15 points. So Vescovi had 22, the other four starters with 15 points, and Euros obviously with zero. Just absolutely atrocious. On the other hand, you got 22 combined points from the bench. Um, that kind of tells me that we need to make quite a few adjustments in our starting lineup if we're going to learn from this and move forward to get stronger in SEC play. The other horrible thing is shooting 20% from the three. I don't even know how we won this basketball game with how bad we shot, but I'm grateful that we somehow managed to bounce back and turn it around, especially being um, – not at our home court with no home court advantage. It could have just continued to be absolutely hideous, but props to them for somehow finding a way in the second half. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, you're still doing this without, you know, Triple J, you know, going through the game warm-ups, pre-game warm-ups, deciding not to play for another game, 
the first game of conference play. You've been sitting him the last few weeks to kind of get him ready for this moment and see if he could kind of go uh, for Ole Miss, doesn't, you know, go out there and play. Um, you know, Stanny, I think everyone kind of knows his shoulders, you know, not 100%, but at least he's, you know, still out there playing. I know it's not every game is going to be 100%, but those last uh, three free throws, he missed all three of them. Uh, thank God he came down clutch with the threes was huge there because I think it still goes back to the point where this defense is going to be huge in conference play just because of the fact that offensively, man, we haven't been able to turn it around. And the reason we won this game is because we were able to stop Ole Miss and, you know, get a little run there going for ourselves. But thank God we had our slump in the first half and they had theirs in the second half, came out on top. All in all, man, I think you do have to see a more, you know, more guards getting involved because Sandy, it can't just be a one night Sandy thing and one night Zakat thing when it gets deeper into conference play. Even though Kentucky is getting smacked right now by Cosmo Martin, uh, they're going to come and, you know, give us a oh, fight. He, he got five. Montez gone. That's why they're good. They oh, can, though. Okay. That, that kind of makes sense, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't pay attention to the Columbia, man, but uh, all in all, man, SEC play, all these teams are good. There's a lot of good teams in conference play this year, so I definitely think it's going to be something Tennessee has to clean up, and Rick Barnes isn't, you know, shying from that in his post, uh, post-game post conference talk at all, so. Hey, honestly, this might be bad, but I keep forgetting that Triple J's out because we've taken the floor with him without him so many times, and like you were saying, Lo, we got to get we got to get our starters going again. And I think once we plug him back into that starting lineup, things will start to kind of work themselves out again. With him being out so long, you'll have to refigure out how to play with him and what he does, what his tendencies are, and stuff like that. But I mean, he's only going to help us because, as we saw last season, he really turned it on towards the middle and second half. So that way, if we can get his shooting back, get him healthy, get him going, get ready for conference play, postseason play, and all that good stuff. And like you said, also shooting 20% and winning a basketball game on the road is pretty is pretty tough. Um, hopefully those those shooting woes don't stay forever. Hopefully we find our way out of that because we do have good shooters on the team. But that's just something you got to work through. And like we said, a win's a win at the end of the day. So no matter how ugly it is, you still got it. Yeah, you know, my big concern is, um, I mean, man, we just – we look so lost offensively. And Julian yeah. Phillips and Tyree Key have both been two guys have just been – completely MIA, I feel like, the last three or four games. You know, Julian Phillips scored six points or less in three of the last four as well. And, you know, I mean, we're really limited. When he's not playing his A game, especially with Tyreek, if he's not making those open jumpers, like, we are really extremely limited and completely reliant on Fiscobi on, like, you know, on making shots for us. Um, I mean, our defense, I, in my opinion, is probably the best in America. I mean, it really is. But, you know, I just got this fear, man, like, Come tournament time, it's going to be like how the Michigan was last year. Like we played great defensively, but then we just can't make anything. And yeah, man. I think they got to start realizing, you know, we we got to stop waiting on Triple J coming back. Because I'll be honest with you guys, I don't think I don't think he's going to come back this year. I really don't. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't even practiced at all the last three weeks. He's been extremely limited, you know, all throughout the week, and he's only played two or three games at most of the season. So. I think they've got to start realizing they're going to have to go with other options on the bench. And, I mean, and even even if B.J. Edwards is not the best option defensively, you've got to do something different. I mean, because when you play teams like Missouri and Mississippi State and Kentucky and Arkansas and Alabama, like performances like tonight are not going to pan out. It's not going to work. Well, sorry, Brenda, are you going to no, say? you're fine. I was just going to say, like, if you have, like, four of your five starters and you start, start like, starting five, not being able to get over, you know, 10 points in 25-plus minutes of play, man. Like, that's not going to cut it in SEC play. It can't just be a guy dropping 30. It can't just be, like, the Kennedy Chandler show we saw last year where he was able to bail us out. Like, this team has to have 
multiple threats. And, you know, if it's Julian Phillips or Euros or someone else stepping up or Jonas, I do finally getting love down low. It's going to have to be something for this team to be able to go deep. Well, you know, it's not even, I mean, given that our defense as a whole is pretty good. Um, I don't see why they don't try something different and make like a sub in where it's just like a offensive, like um, offensively minded, like power sub in where you just get like Viscovi, um, freaking Zakai, BJ, even uh, Adu, and just focus solely on dominating on offense for three to four minutes at a time rotating like the best offensive core group that you have in um, to try and switch up the pace of the game a little bit. I mean, you can't just sit here with the same problems going into the SEC stretch of the season and be like, well, you know, our defense will get it done. No, the hell it won't. Like if you don't make shots later on down the road, the defense is not just going to seal the game for you. You've got to figure out how to get some sort of up tempo lineup. in, even if it's for two to three minutes, to just really apply pressure to the other team's defense to change up the pace of the game. And you can't just, you know, that would be something that other teams would probably not expect coming. And also they would have to try to adapt to, and it could potentially really work um, if you find the right five guys to just throw in there together and create an offensive power, you know, type of lineup for just a couple minutes, like twice a game, and then go back to your steady just something different at this point, because like you guys have said, you know, Triple J, if he was here, I feel like this team would be uh, different. They'd be led differently on offense. But right now, this is not going to cut it. We're lucky to be sitting at 11 and 2 and 1 and 0 in the SEC right now. We truly are. Um, and I think they're going to have to do something creative, something different to get this spark rolling on the offense. Well, you're going to have to. Like, you're, you're definitely going to have to because in eight of the ten first games, Tennessee held their opponents to less than, less than 50 points. Uh, when you get into conference play, you're not going to do that. You definitely saw Ole Miss in their first half, the run they had. You got about to play a, a really talented Mississippi State team, uh, getting ready for Kentucky as well. Like, these teams are going to be able to go out there and play offensively with your defense. You're not going to be able to shut down everybody. And I think you're definitely going to be able to see that change of pace because even the commentary booth was saying Tennessee, whenever they shoot in the first 10 seconds of the clock, their percentage from that – from playing throughout the whole clock and getting points on the board. Like the longer the clock went, the less chance Tennessee had of scoring a basket. And that was just kind of crazy to me. The faster Tennessee plays on offense, the better. And if that's going to be something that, like we've said on the show <coughs> week after week, the offense has to match the aggression of the de of the, uh, the defense. So if that could happen, man. It, it seems like to me, and maybe Brando, Lowe, Alex, and Amy, maybe go and chime in on this, but it just seems like there's just a lack of creativity on offense as well. I mean, it's like what Brando said. I mean, within the first 10 seconds, usually when we score, it's either when we're in transition or, you know, we got like a three-on-two fast break or something like that. But, like, when we try to, like, you know, there's no off-ball movement with this offense, and there's no, like, there's no, no one trying to get open at all. And it seems like we're always, like, you know, trying to just give the ball either to Zakai or Viscovi and just – fucking pray and hope that, you know, they hit a jumper. Like, it's just – it's incredibly frustrating. I don't know whether if it's, like, a Rick Barnes thing or maybe if it's just something with this team this year, but that's, like, the one thing I've noticed, especially the last three games or so. I mean, it's just there's no movement at all. To me, uh, I also think – just commenting on that, sorry, Alex, but I think it's – we don't have enough speed on this team to make it what we we feel like it should be, right? Like you have Viscovi and Zakai moving at the same pace, 
a lot of the time, at least starting, they aren't even on the court together. So then it's either falls on the Scobie to try and slow his pace down to match everyone else and get movement flowing. When they are both together, it can tend to get kind of sloppy, but the game is faster. Right. And then, you know, if Zakai's out there, it's the same scenario as Vescovi. It's just, uh, you know, you're trying to keep up, trying to match your speed of game with the rest of the players on the court. And uh, it's that's very apparent to me, especially tonight. We were also blessed. You want it? I was just going to say before you saw it, we were also blessed having Kennedy Chandler last year to have Zakai back up and come in for us. So. Oh, 100%. That's why, that's why I like – Anytime Kennedy had a bad game last year, I was like, we got to chill because, like, this dude's staying for one year. And, like, what he does for us was incredible because he could push the ball. He could create his own offense. He could create offense for everybody else. People people would wait for Kennedy to set the table for him, and he would consistently. When he didn't, we would lose. But, I mean, more often than not, he was doing exactly what he was needing to do. But, low, like you said, like, we don't have somebody that can break down a defense as well as Kennedy could, or as consistently as Kennedy could. Of course, Z will get his, and, and Santee will get his, but, like, consistently relying on that one player to go get us a bucket, Kennedy could do that fairly often. Um, and I think I think another thing that bothered us in the first half is that Ole Miss was shooting the ball so well that they, they constantly had time to get back and set their defense. When we play against that set half-court defense, we struggle, just like you were saying, Drew, because our offense is so uncreative. And I think – I think there is off-ball movement, but it's so predictable because it's either the posts go down and screen the guards in the corners to come up, and then the other side they'll reverse it into a double screen and get somebody coming off the top. And if that doesn't work, they just keep swinging it around and doing the same thing. But when they have when they have the freedom to move in a transition set, they're so much better. They attack, they attack harder, they get to the rim, they get their free throws up, and then that's how you really put pressure on the defense because if they're if you get in foul trouble then they can't play us as hard. But Ole Miss in that first half was pressing up just as much as we were, and that's what really bothered us, I think. Yeah, I mean, and Ole Miss all year this year in the first half struggled offensively. I mean, they, sure. you know, like Temple a couple weeks ago, they didn't even score until about, you know, eight minutes left in the first half. I mean, yeah. like, awful. So, like, it was just a very unpredictable and weird game. I do feel like that, and maybe, you know, this might be a little bit surprising, but I think, like, the one player – we are missing Candy Chandler tremendously, but, like, I think one player that could have really helped us a lot this year – is Huntley Hatfield. Like, I feel like just because, like, you know, he would have been able to develop. Like, he gives more of an option as far as shooting. Kamwa, Adu, and fucking Euros combined. Have you seen Louisville basketball? Yeah, Yeah, Chuck bro. Have you seen what Huntley Hatfield's doing over there? He's still averaging double digits despite how terrible that team is. They have three wins. No one ruined He's a good player on a terrible basketball team. His number is bigger than their wins. Like, that's not all on him. You can't expect one guy to fucking change the whole entire program. That's, like, irrational. It's ridiculous. It's just – it's pure nonsense. That's what it is. I'm telling you, he would help a lot to this team from a debt perspective on having, you know, being a, a liability or being more reliable on offense. Because all of our big guys, they can't fucking shoot. They're soft as shit. You know, they, they don't go for rebounds. I feel like at least Huntley Hatfield under Rick Barnes in his second year would have been more, alive, you know, of reliability – than fucking Kamala and Euros. I'm sorry. You tell me otherwise. That's why, Olivia that's why is we hand the bad. keys to I think we hand the keys to I do and then just go from there. Like we, he, we can't, he can't shoot. He's so bad. Like it's it's fucking great that he's seven foot, but he can't shoot. You seen the man shoot? It's terrible. <laughs> but you better than Euros. 
that's not saying anything. He, I didn't say it was, but still. But still, I think Jonas Adu is a great center and he's a great TikToker. Let him work. Let him work. Question. So, y'all think that the reason why our offense looks so basic is because Rick Barnes is so heavy on fundamentals and anytime we try to speed it up is when he gets sloppy so he doesn't want to try anything new until fundamentals are literally clean. I think those fundamentals come off of how he incorporates his defense. One, like we said, but also the identity of the offense being different because Coach Schwartz left for ECU. He had a heavy part as an assistant coach and, you know, becoming the ECU head coach things he's done over there for their offense, you know, making it the top offense in the country over there at ECU. I think that was a huge identity. The way he was able to draw up plays for Tennessee coming off and getting huge baskets, you're definitely noticing early on in the season that not being there, and they're having to figure that out offensively. But I think it does kind of have to come with that just because of how how serious they do practice and how hardcore he is about these systems. Like, I think overall sometimes you just have to let these guys go play because like we said, like the baskets are coming off of fast break points. If we have that breakout guy that can go out there and make a flashy play and cause a run, that might be better than just playing fundamentals 24 seven. And I think you need more of those. I agree with that. I think, I think that that's exactly how Barnes has predicated his offense. And he also has the approach that if everybody can do it, you can't stop everybody. So, I mean, he wants everybody involved in the offense. He wants everybody getting a touch, getting a look instead of, ISO ball, having one player go for 25 and then letting everybody else kind of get theirs on the way. But we also have seen how much Rick Barnes has his hand in everything because as soon as somebody makes a mistake, they come right out. Mm-hmm. And he's chewing, them, he's chewing them all the way down the sideline and all the way back up after they get their water. So, I mean, Even it, press conference. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to stray away <laughs> from that when that's kind of like hanging over your head. I'm, I'm not saying that I think that affects them that much because they still they're still the players. They still got to do it. But, I mean, if you're thinking about it, like, hey, I might not want to, like, stray away from this because Coach <laughs> not pulled me. I mean, Coach probably pulled somebody else again, but, like, still, you know what I'm saying? Ask Euros and Zakai about that starting off this season. I mean, it's been, you know, two back-to-back L's that, you know, a guy's been called out for his name. And I think, you know, that is going to help them, you know, responsibly on the court. But at the same time, man, like, you got to, you know, let these guys go out to the best of their athletic ability. And what fits them best is not always going to be a fundamental thing. And I agree. I agree. Our defense is locked down. I agree with the Ken Palm rings. It is the best defense in the league. But it, it hurts us, man. Just like our offensive football hurts us on defense, the defense on basketball hurts us on offense. I'm going to ride with that. So I also think as well, though, it's like like what Lowe was saying. We just don't have the speed as far as like our guards go compared to the last couple other teams where we've had success on offense. Like last year. Candy Chandler was, I mean, it was great. I mean, you know, opened up everything for us. And even, you know, a couple of years prior to that, like Jordan Bone and Lamonte Turner, they were open things for them with Grant Williams, Bowden, and all of them. So when you don't have like those one or two guards are able just to be able to take two or three, you know, defenders with them and have, you know, an open spot in the corner, it limits your ability to score. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Like Piscopi's yeah. great shooter, Zakai, unbelievable defense player, but Santi's slow shit, and, you know, and Sakai just doesn't have the speed like Candy Chandler or, you know, Jordan Bonebuff did, so. Well, and you look back at those teams, and you see that when the, when the teams had more speed uh, as a whole on the court, Rick Barnes was looser with how he was on offense because he trusted them to formulate and use their athleticism and their decision-making to, to produce an offensive you know, scheme that actually worked. He was much looser with the reins then when we had the speed that we had then. We don't have that now. And, 
you know, it's almost like we don't even – sometimes I don't even know what our objective is on offense. Are we trying to shoot the three? Are we trying to get a quick jumper? Or are we trying to dump it off to someone in the paint for them to miss a shot? Like, I don't <laughs> – I don't know what it is. And if I can't find the identity as, you know, watching, then I wonder if they struggle wondering what the hell they're doing on the court when they switch to offense, to be quite honest with you. I mean, there's no identity. I mean, like, you know, we had one game where we shot 45 three-pointers. And then, you know, like today we only shot, I think, so like, there's just, there's no consistency. And like, you know, I mean, it just, every game is completely different. That's, that's like the most frustrating thing. It's a miracle we're actually a top ten team, honestly. It is. Well, Barnes Barnes is also big on like the the mid range game. Like if you if you've noticed, a lot of the post players will take those midi hooks from like ten to twelve feet out. Mm. When when he was getting up, I mean, we had we had Schofield and Grant who could eat that up all day. And right now we don't have that because I, I like you said I don't trust Euros to hit that jumper. I barely trust I do to hit that jumper. The, the one who hits it most, honestly, is Triple J. And he hits it consistently. When he turns over that right shoulder and elevates, he can knock it down pretty often. Santee's good at it too, but like like y'all said, Santee's a little bit shorter. He's a little bit slower. He, he can't get the lift on his jumper, can't get it over everybody, so he might not be looking for it as much. But, I mean, if, if we had – and that's the thing, Barnes still wants to play through the post. But our post players are so one-dimensional. If you ever see our post players – all they will do is turn over that left shoulder and go with the right hook every time. I promise you they will. I'll say this. I have an interesting comment. Do you want to go first? Uh, I was just going to say, like, by the end of the season, Jemai Mayshack, he's going to be one of those top guys. Mayshack, I think, like, minutes. I'm on a Mayshack trend. I think that guy is going to be – I've been you know, wanting that forever. One of the top guys. And I was going to say on the Santee and the Scobie thing, I don't think it's that they're not fast enough. I just don't think they have the physicality as an SEC guard going against top prospects in this kind of, you know, play. I think it worked last year with the, you know, the talent you had in and out. But I think Tyreek Key physically is going to be that guy, but you're just not seeing it from him early on. So, yeah, it's an on and off thing. And if you can get that consistent out of a guy like Tyreek Key, that might be the. You think you think Sakai's not physical enough for the SEC? Is that what you said? Drew. Okay. <laughs> we just play, okay. But we just play Arizona and Santi goes down low and he gets demolished down low and they don't call that foul. First of all, that was that's not because of his physicality. That's because the refs were fucking abysmal. But he got murdered though, like part of the day. Shot in the back. <laughs> We've all said abysmal. Like Yeah. Word of the day, abysmal. So my one of these comments, it said if we can't figure out the offensive identity, how do you expect the opponent to get it? What do you think? We have three options, oh, and you know, two of the three are going to be more consistent, and we're slow as hell producing all three options. That's my answer. Even when Ole Miss, though, they changed up their defense during our run, and our run continued. Like, we were still scoring on them, and they went to their, like, their set 1-3 or 1-5-1 defense or whatever it was. Like, just overall, I just don't think that it's, like, a, a how people playing for us. I think it's what we do and how we control it just because it's just not consistent. We haven't been able to be consistent. It's not someone else stopping us. We just can't hit shots. Maybe it's me, though, but I feel like when, like, when these teams are playing like this half court defense, like a one three one, I feel like we play play better offensively. Like when we're forced to actually make passes and make plays, like we would do better than like wasting the clock and just trying to create something. Is yeah, that a good thing? That has to be like when you get into a faster pace return. Yeah, a one three one is absolutely a Swiss cheese defense. You try to get that early trap. If you don't do it, you're done. 
I mean, you get it to the corner, you get back to the middle, you're scoring easy. Mm-hmm. But that's also banking on that you have somebody that can finish in the paint. That's true, too. Which and- to, to each their own. To each their <laughs> own. <laughs> but also, I want to chime in, too, and one more thing before if we're going to move on shortly. We also forget that, like, we've said Zakai and Santi are, are, like, relatively smaller. We also forget that Kennedy Chandler was 6'1 with a 6'7 wingspan. He wasn't so really he's, he's by you. He can still reach out so much farther, and then he can he can take off his his layups, his finishes way farther out than anybody can now. And that's I mean that's such an underrated ability in basketball is just to to avoid the defense, get get your shots up over them. And I mean, I I still think we're like waiting on that to come back. Like it's almost like we're waiting on Kennedy to do something, but he's he's not there. You know what I'm saying? Like we're still waiting on like okay, who's got it? Who's got it? Uh, I guess I got it. You know. Like nobody, nobody really wants it at the end, and we've seen that because they'll throw it to Santi. Santi will get stuck and then chuck something up, hoping to hit the rim on on a light, uh, late <laughs> shot clock. But if we figure that out, we'll we'll be halfway decent. I bet. Look, if we can figure out things offensively, I mean this this team can win a national championship. I really like as far as our defense goes. If we can be able to match that, there's there's not a lot of teams out there that'll be able to stop us. But like, there's no fucking consistency on this team. So like, there's gonna be like one game we'll you know we'll. In the other will twenty percent from the three point line. So like they gotta figure something out. Hey, credit credit the team though for hitting those offensive offensive lows, but still competing defensively. You know, like oh, yeah. we we've been we've been dogging on Julian a little bit. And it's not even that we're dogging on him. We're just like we've seen you put up numbers. We know you can do it. So like keep doing it. But even when he's going out and getting four points, he's still playing great defense, switching on everything. His length disrupts guards and post both, and he rebounds well. I mean, he's still doing the things that Barnes is asking him to do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, like we want to see more out of him offensively because we've seen it before. But, I mean, credit them for always staying locked in on defense. Like that's – I mean, that's tough, especially oh, yeah. when you've got people going at you 100% of the time. You're the number seven team in the country. Everybody talks about how good your defense is. They're going to put it to the test. But, I mean, we've we've showed up every game except for the, the games we lost, Colorado and Arizona. But, I mean, other than that, like – we we still competed like we're still there we're still fighting everything so but he's gonna have to expand his rotation because like like happens every year we run out of gas in postseason play but yeah there's no doubt about it 54 to 39 Mizzou is whipping that ass bro. <laughs> Mizzou is 11 and 1 and not ranked and they're beating 8 and 3 Kentucky I'm not gonna love to be ranked I'm not gonna lie, like I'm gonna be there next Saturday for the game. I don't know if Kentucky's gonna be ranked. They might be unranked. That's I think they I mean they will hey, with this L. Mizzou, right? Mizzou's actually coming this year. They're good. Yeah, they're they they, they doing way better than I thought they're, they would. They're, they're coming. coming. It also they hire the Sacramento it's someone more Who'd they hire? I have uh, no idea, but they Sacramento could. City, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Something okay. So you guys want to switch to Orange Bowl? Orange Bowl. Orange Bowl. Orange Bowl, baby. All right. So we've been waiting for a long time. It feels so strange, but uh, kickoff 8 p.m. Friday, Miami. Let's talk first off about the players out, which are pretty significant. Jalen Hyatt, Hendon Hooker, obviously. Jeremy Banks, Cedric Tillman. Um, Those are our key guys out. Of course, I don't know what – what it's going to be like, you know, pregame before Saturday, of course. But let's talk a little bit about how much those players being out affects this team and how we think we will perform 
without them. So, yeah, obviously Jalen Hyatt out, Jeremy Banks out. He's academically ineligible probably at this point. Hendon Hooker obviously out with the injury. Cedric Tillman out. Um, Darnell Wright's going to give it a go. Uh, Byron Young is going to give it a go. So we do have guys that are going to be playing in this game. I guess the best news after that, after the bad news, is that this is probably the healthiest this team has been since week one to start off the season. Everyone's, you know, expected to be ready to go. We were pretty banged up there. You know, a lot of our DBs are getting hurt. Brandon Turnage was, you know, kind of banged down. Kamal Adam was kind of banged up. A lot of guys playing with little tweaks there. Um, that's going to be great to see those guys, you know, healthy. I think offensively, uh, you're going to have to go out there and rock and roll. We probably have confidence that, you know, the wide receiver and the quarterback play is still going to be able to produce in this offense and trust in Heifel. It's obviously going to come down to Joe Milton, what he decides to do and how he performs. But I think that even Clemson knows and their coaches were saying today with the clips getting out that, you know, Tennessee is going to give us a threat. They're going to be still a threat under Joe Milton. Their offense is still going to be able to put up stats and we have to be prepared, ready to go. We're not the only one with opt-outs. They have three pretty big opt-outs. I think their starting corner today missed his third practice in a row. He's not going to be ready to go. Um, a five-star defensive lineman and linebacker for them that were in their rotations, not going to be ready to go. So, yeah, Tennessee's, you know, I think their uh, opt-outs definitely hurt a lot. But the pieces in play, I just think that overall it should not hurt us exponentially. And now on six-hour uh, countdown, hopping on the plane, going down to Fort Lauderdale, my boy Alley is going to be lit in south beach uh fully excited for this game i'm going down there expecting a w i know a lot of people aren't confident but even with our opt-outs I, I feel confident i think hype is going to be able to show a blueprint of what he's going to do next year and that's going to be huge for the vols in miami hey one one thing i do want to comment on uh the vol lane brought it up in the threat or in the in the stream he said that <clears throat> orange bowl checkered the end zone petition to move the orange bowl to nashville and get rid of the music cd bowl Honestly, shout out the shout out the Hard Rock Stadium for at least paying attention to what we do in our stadium and not doing whatever the heck the Music City Bowl did that one year where they didn't even attempt to remove the Titans logo off the field and just <laughs> like let's paint over this with some ugly ass font and just like call it a Tennessee end zone. I don't know what that was, but to the opt outs, the one thing that scares me is that we saw what happened when Banks wasn't out there and it led to sixty three South Carolina points. <laughs> Um, so, so there's that, but offensively, I, I think we're going to be okay. I think this is the time where, especially with brew announcing that he's coming back next year, he can really get his hype train going and then he can, he can get some momentum going. And then I also want to see Keaton show out. Keaton's had flashes. I mean, we remember the big catch against Florida and he's had big catches here and there, but consistently, I don't think he's put it together for a full season. So I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him get some burn. And really, kind of get that that same kind of hype going that hype uh, that Hyatt did this year. And again, this is another time we can feature our running backs. We still got Small, and we got uh, so many other people behind him. Samson, for now, um, so many people. We got a, we got a stable of running backs, and we got more coming in. It's a good time to showcase them. So, I don't I don't know what I'm expecting. I'm kind of just expecting to go watch and see what happens, see what team takes the field, and see how they perform. But I mean, really, I just want to see – I want to see consistent offensive play, get some big defensive stops, and then still keep keep the momentum that we created this year into next season and just keep the ball rolling. Because if we can build on what we did this season, then we're going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as, like, our opt-outs go, I mean, like, you know, Tillman and Hire are not really surprises. I mean, honestly, Tillman, as great as he's been to see, you know, with his four years he's been here, it's not really that big of a loss because he's been gone for most of the year. And I don't know, I just – 
I feel like as far as our wideouts go, like we just have so much depth and talent in that position that like we'll just be able to reload. And I'm especially excited, you know, seeing Ramil Keaton, Bray McCoy, and potentially Squirrel White to slot. I think wow. it's fun to watch and especially be excited for next year. Um, I think this is a golden opportunity for Joe Milton to be able to solidify his status as a starting quarterback next year. If we can get a really good performance from him, you know, throw anywhere between 65, 70%, you know, and, you know, even get a win as well, I think he guarantees week one versus Virginia will be our starter. But, uh, man, if he's like throwing the shit out of some balls, like, you know, that he has done his entire career, and, uh, you know, we lay a big fat egg against Clemson, I think. I'm telling you, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Nikos is our week one starter. So, but um, thing, a lot man. of uh, what I said, that's the thing, man. Like, it's like we're not even at game week, but like how I just said that I'm expecting a win. I know a lot of all nation is going in there confident for this game, but I know exactly when like one bad thing happens and they're looking forward to next year, you'll be like, oh, okay, Nico has to be that guy because the video clips are going around. You're seeing him at bowl practice, you're seeing him with the team. Like, he's not even eligible to play. And, you know, ball report, and other people are posting about him. And he's not even going to play in the Orange Bowl. They're posting about him in Miami. Like, this guy obviously has the crown. He has the price tag on him. And I, I want Joe Milton to be our guy next week. Uh, oh, he's going to be our guy, obviously, next week. But next year, going into Virginia and Nissan Stadium, I want him to be the guy. But, you know, in the back of, like, our heads, even though we're going to be there, we're going to be like, oh, that could be different. Like, if he doesn't hit that or, like, what's the difference? What's the <laughs> overall uh, game? And, like, we're going to be thinking about that next year. I think Joe Milton, though, man, like, Vanderbilt was tough. The weather wasn't the best. I'll give him that. I'll give him some slack there. But, like, going into Miami, hometown, can't have the jitters. You have to go out there and play ball. And when I think of a game to compare it to that we saw was his first game against Pitt, man. You got to go out there and make the plays early. I think Josh Heupel is going to have an early game script. If you capitalize that and get the points early and, you know, get Tennessee a few points, a few drives, a few touchdowns ahead, man, that's going to help overall. But if you miss those big plays that you need to hit, we know what's going to happen. Well, I have a few – things on that for sure. At first off, I want to comment on Banks being out. And I know a lot of people have been highly concerned about that, but you know, he's, they've had so many practices without him at this point. I hope to God that they figured out a way to fix whatever issue that was and, you know, figure out how to operate without him. And I, I still feel like, of course, in reflection, there was a lot more drama surrounding that situation. It's not just that he was so incredible that we sucked that much ass. Like there is a lot there. So first of all, I think we should just, you know, kind of relax on banks. I don't think that'll be that huge of a deal. Second of all, when we go in with Joe Milton, I mean, I thought he played fine against Vanderbilt, given it was Vanderbilt, but the weather, like Brenda said, weather was shit. Um, it was ass. Quickly. Um, we scored a shit ton of points, you know, yeah, Nico looks great in high school ball, but holy shit, he's so small. He will get absolutely wrecked if he hits the starting field next year. I'm sorry, but that's exactly how I feel. Um, he is tiny as hell. He is tiny, dude. He needs to put on a lot of muscle in my opinion. Joe Milton, I think that he studied under Hendon Hooker this whole season um, I think he knows what it's supposed to take to lead a team. It really just is all on him at this point. I've said it on this podcast before. He's been trained and shown to just absolutely launch the football as far as it can go probably his whole life. Now at the back end of his career, he's having to try and finesse and fine-tune things. It's not the easiest ask in the world. It's not the easiest ask to come behind 
who should have been at the Heisman ceremony, Hendon Hooker, um, to come in behind him. I do have confidence in him. I'm not going to get upset if he misses a few plays um, or whatever. But at this point, we just have what we have rolling out there. We can't do anything about it. All we can do is try to play to all of our strengths. I think that Squirrel and him have some sort of chemistry because Squirrel is fast as hell. And if he throws it, then he knows that Squirrel may be able to catch it. So I imagine we'll see him out there quite a bit and targeted quite a bit on on the game day. But in terms of next season, I think we just need to focus on the now and not forget that we are literally ranked number six coming into a big-time bowl game. And let's just all fucking enjoy it. Let's not sit around and – piss away everything and piss away this huge bowl appearance because we're worried about next year. Let's just soak this in now. We'll worry about Nico and everyone else after the game. But for now, let's just stick to this game and freaking enjoy it. I mean, go ahead. I was going to say, if Joe opens it up, right, and he opens it up just like the first drive against Vanderbilt with that long bomb to high and connects just like that and gets it started, I'm fully confident that he's going to be like locked in the full game. Uh, fun little you know stat: Joe Milton hasn't lost in the state of Florida as a starting quarterback since his junior year of high school in Pahokee, Florida. So obviously the big coming home game for him. But man, like I think that's going to be huge for him, like giving him like a separate edge, not only with this whole starting mentality. You've seen the quotes saying, "I'm Tennessee's starting quarterback. I have to you know step up and be that guy and be that starting guy now." And he's had the blueprint being behind Hendon all year. I definitely think that he's getting that leadership element, and that might just overall change his game if he can be more cool, calm, and collected. Uh, gonna have to put it on the field, but I'm I'm not really. I think he's gonna be confident enough to go out there and get it done. I just want to see it for one because no Jalen Hyatt obviously got Squirrel White. We're gonna have new guys in the rotation as well, like Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, Walker Merrill getting more opportunity. I just hope the connection is there. Obviously, the offense is its own self in its own tempo. But Joe Millen with receivers he hasn't played with as a new starting quarterback is gonna be one thing to watch as well. So. Well, I just want to comment on something that you just said. One thing, one thing that we've repeated weekly, except for like maybe one or two weeks in this podcast this season, is how much fun we've had. We we really can't lose sight of that. I mean, this season's been so much fun. Beating Florida at home, going to LSU on the road, whooping their hind end like like a redheaded stepchild, then coming home and beating Bama on a on a late kick. I mean, like it's it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been so much fun, and like we got to do one thing that we as a fan base are not good and be realistic for a second and just enjoy what we've done. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of participation trophies. That's the last thing I want, but saying that we would finish top 10 this season, I, I wasn't sure we could do that. I mean, I really wasn't like, I'm going to be real. I'm going to say that we, I don't know that we could, and here we are, we've done things that, that a lot of us didn't think could happen. So, I mean, let's enjoy that. But another thing I wanted to say was like, or I guess get y'all's take on, was what do you think of the opt-outs? Do you agree with them? Do you disagree with them? Do you have an opinion? My my personal take is that, like, I understand it's a team sport. You've been with this team all season. You want to see it to the end. But, I mean, some people got millions to make. And this game really could, like, make or break somebody's, somebody's draft stock. Like, I mean, we saw Tillman go down on one play, and then he hasn't been the same since. You know, and that was against Akron. Who would think that Tillman would get hurt against Akron? You would think he would get hurt against somebody like like Florida or LSU, Bama, Georgia, one of those where he's like going all out, tries to make some crazy play and gets hurt doing something like that, maybe. But I mean, I don't know. I, I understand the opt-outs. Do I 
do I like necessarily agree with them? Maybe not, because I do kind of see the team side of it, and I want to see them play to the end, and I want to see my favorite players play. I have a big thought about this. Um, I think that if you are, I think that if you're going to do an NIL deal with the university, that it should be a stipulation, you know, that you have to, like, if you make X amount of money or over, then you should, you should be able to participate in that bowl game. Um, I feel like if you're just offering millions of dollars to every kid who signs in a NIL and then they all just opt out, then you have no freaking team anymore and you have no sense of purpose. And then it all becomes about money. Uh, they've came first and foremost to play the sport that they love. The money should be a bonus. And I don't think that should be lost or forgotten with NIL per se. Um I think they should at least be required to take the field or something and not just be able to just be like, all right, see, ya, I'm done. I collected $5 million from you guys and I'm not going to finish it out for the season. Even if it's just a play or something, make sure you travel with the team, make sure you're supporting the guys, all of the things. Um, that's just my personal opinion because that's going to get so lost in all of this money and then it's just not going to matter. And that's why people were worried in the beginning when NIL blew up so huge because it's a lot of kids are going to shift so much to just money, just money, just money transfer portal. Where can I get the most money? I think it needs to be somehow formulated to be like, you know, this is a tradition. This is a privilege. The money is an extra bonus, but you are still a part of this team. You still participate with this team. That's where my, my standpoint is on it in terms of these guys right now that obviously that isn't a rule. If you're trying to go to the NFL um, and you have the option and whatever and you've given your all, then, I mean, screw it. They don't have any accountability. Why wouldn't they do that? People do it all the time. But I'm just saying moving forward, I feel like it would be nice to have some sort of boundary, stipulation, et cetera. When you're accepting all this money, you need to at least participate. I think your overall like standing at the end of the season obviously affects the opt-outs. Um, if you're winning and you're in the postseason or in a really high New Year's Six Bowl, you're not going to see many opt-outs. Heck, Bama has Bryce Young and Will Anderson play. No telling how much you know extra NIL funds they got for playing. If you're sitting out for NIL, uh, that's going to be a whole different thing. Ohio State has one of their you know star wide receivers not playing, and they're in the playoffs. So like all in all this is i think it's going to you know slow down when you get to the 12 team you know playoff more guys want to get involved in that being a college football playoff system as it goes to like a march march madness fight your way feel guys are going to fight that out but i think overall if you do the whole nil thing put it in the contract that might affect how some guys sign to a certain school if they can get another school not to put that in the contract you know they might sign somewhere else um guys you know are are you know you know, sacrificing a million dollars to go out there and play in the bowl game. You know, you saw Jalen Hyatt opt out, but he paid, I think, for everyone's hotel or something involved, like families down their hotel through his Hyatt and uh, NLI or NIL thing. So if you put it to good use, like you're not opting, you're not playing in that game, but you put it to good use, get everyone traveled yeah. down there. That's a super cool thing. But I know in his thing, in his speech, Jalen was like, I'm going to be there in Miami with the team. I don't think he actually traveled with the team. So like, that's all in all. Hidden hookers out there on crutches. So that's just my thing. Like, if you're not going to play there, but you still want to support them and you say you're going to support them, be out there and support them. If not, I get it. Focus on yourself. Do your own thing. But, like, do it for good. Have a good reason. I understand Jalen Hyatt's going to be a top 10 round or top 10 pick in the first round. That's a huge possibility. Going to help us in recruiting. But overall, like, 
it's going to affect not only recruiting, but just coaches relationships with players. And it's a hard thing to task. Like this is what they were fearful of. And it's the reality now. So. I don't really have an issue with it at all whatsoever because this was even happening even before NIL. Like, Leonard Fournette is a perfect example of before the NIL stuff happening of guys opting out. And, you know, you don't want to see a guy that has, you know, potential of being a first-round draft pick and then getting injured in a bowl game and then lose millions of dollars. And there's been so many cases where that's happened. And, yeah, I mean, it sucks when they do opt out and they're not going to play, you know, in a big-time bowl game like the Orange Bowl. But what's what's a better recruiting pitch than saying that you have multiple guys drafted in the first round for future guys to come into your program too? So, you know, and you don't want to lose that. And I think a lot of those guys have realized that too. And at the end of the day, I mean, it's hard for me to complain about any of these guys opting out considering what they did this year and what they've done at Tennessee. So, Fair play to them. You got to get that, get those dollar bills, guys. And uh, I mean, it's just how it is. It's all about the money these days. So I'm really. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like the the money's the money's not always guaranteed. How many times have we seen people lose money? Like recently, we saw Tillman. Okay, good example. And then not even not even on his own accord or even in a football play. But how much money did Trey Smith lose? I mean, and he developed blood clots. Same thing with Tamari Key. I mean, she developed blood clots. She was probably going to be a high pick in the WNBA draft. He was he was a consensus top ten pick in the NFL draft, and he fell to the sixth round. I mean, he lost easily twenty five to thirty million dollars. You know, and I don't. I mean, I think that's hard for us to get our mind around because like nobody's ever dangled that much money in front of us and be like, here, come and get this if you want. But like, I mean, it, it's hard. It's hard. Like that that really is life changing money. One in one high NFL draft pick contract. That could change your life. That I mean, that's like generational wealth if you if you know how to manage it and you keep playing like that. But I mean, there there's both there's two sides. That's why I wanted just take. I mean, if it wasn't controversial, we wouldn't be discussing. Even that, even furthermore with that, Alex. Though here's the other thing. This is why I I struggle so much with this. Five or eight million dollars is a life changing amount of money too, just to come True. to play freaking college football. If someone dangled that in front of me and I made investments right, that would be a lifetime wealth of money too. And that's just started. Yeah, so, I was going to say, that's just now. Yeah, and so that's what, I, what I'm saying is we're losing the – I am I fear for sure that we're losing the passion and the excitement of football because everything is so centered around money, but not even, wow, this is a huge amount of money that I would never see 10 years ago in college. Yeah. But how can I get more? And how can I get more? And how can I get more for myself and not – what can I contribute to my team? That's what I fear. I don't like that at all. If I was offered freaking $250,000 to go play college soccer a few years ago, I wouldn't have turned my scholarship and all that shit down. I would have fucking went. No. Also, it's also going to come down to the character of the athlete because we saw Quinn Ewers, you know, he went out and went to Ohio State for one year and then went home to Texas because of what Ohio State gave him an NIL. And then he dipped out after one year and went home, which he wanted to do originally when he finally got that match number. And I think that's just, you know, what you're not to see. There's a lot of in-state talent that like Tennessee, for instance, is lucky that they're able to offer a good NIL number and have the in-state benefit in this kind of class and lock down that huge kind of talent like you saw with Arian Carter and other people. But you're trying to see more and more teams be able to use that and like exploit that. And I think like all in all, it's going to come down to the athlete and what they want to do what's best. And the relationship is going to still be a huge part in recruiting. But with that extra tool, you know, coming in, um, like we said, the contract, if like one team offers, you know, make you forced to play in a bowl game and the other team doesn't, 
all in all, I think that's going to, you know, come down. If a guy has millions on the line to be a first round, second round pick and opt out, he's going to opt out. But I think all in all, you've seen more people want to do it if they're not, you know, playing for something they feel deserved. If you don't want to play in the cheese Bowl or, you know, the Chick-fil-A Bowl, I understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. If you're a first round pick, do your thing, bro. But if you're in the Capital One Orange Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, uh, you're seeing, you know, Bama obviously play for a reason. They want to finish their season off. And if our guys wanted to, I would have been a lot happier. But like Alex said, you got to enjoy the moment, man. Uh, when I get in Miami, when me and Alex are pulling up, I'm not going to be thinking about the opt-outs. I'm going to think about how Tennessee is going to go out there and win today. And it comes back to the staff. And I'm like, this offense is like a chessboard for Josh Heupel. He's going to put guys out there to win. And, you know, you got to control how you promote it and what's happening. Like, if you have opt-outs, so be it. He's going to, you know, be the first one to tell you it is the new day and age of college football. Josh Heupel is not going to hide that. He wants to exploit that as much as he can for the benefit of Tennessee. The way he reacts to it on the field and what he puts out there in the Orange Bowl, that's, you know, how Tennessee is going to overcome it. It's all about what you do after the fact of these opt-outs. And I think if you go out there and do a good performance, that benefits Tennessee. You're going to see more guys be like, oh, they produce first-round talents. Let me go to Tennessee. I mean, that's been that's been Bama's calling card for the longest, you know, because they, I mean, they weren't paying players. You know, they were doing everything by the book, and and Saban runs just the, the prettiest little ship over there. But, I mean – their their whole premise was that like if you start for us you're going to be drafted if you're our backup wait till next season you'll get drafted you know I mean like if you go there you were basically guaranteed like a fourth fifth round draft pick at the worst so I mean when you, when you have that in your back pocket as a coach then you start winning championships and then then what the hell you do you want to win okay come here oh you want to get drafted all right come here so I mean you put it all together then people are going to come no matter what. So. When you start to play for a good program, you have to trust the process and not get too much on your NIL. And I know, I know that's one thing for an athlete in this day and age is, you know, finding everything out about it. But when you look at Alabama and, you know, you look at Georgia, Georgia hasn't taken anyone out of the portal unless they absolutely needed to. Saban hasn't taken anyone out of the portal unless they absolutely needed to. They built the foundation and, you know, you're going to have to get kids to trust you and then add the NIL on top of that. But like I said, it comes down to the character of being able to prove it on the field. You can get a guy to lock in and buy in. And that's what Tennessee's being able to do with guys that are getting on the field now, especially with this, you know, freshman class now. They did that, you know, improved it during the season. And you saw how it paid off with the enrollees that are there now. You're just going to have to keep doing that because it's going to come down to guys that you bring here and how you show them what you can do and that you're not going to lie to them with the advantages that you can offer them now. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is like, you know, kind of like you said, like, let's reward hard work. Let's not give handouts. It's the same thing. You go to practice, you earn your position, you work hard, you earn more money. That's how I feel like the standard should be. It shouldn't be like, all right, here's your $1 million to come play for us. And then whatever efforts you put forth, you get more. That's, I don't think that's how it should work. That's just me. No one has to agree with me. I just think it's, going to turn into a pile of shit if we let it get to that point. So I say reward hard work and let them know that they will be rewarded at, you know, whatever milestone they hit, whatever this they get, you know, that's how I think it should be because that develops character and it develops work ethic. And if we lose all of that shit, then college football is just going to tank. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm being dramatic, but it's true. I mean, I agree with that, but we also, like, really helped in our advantage of, like, the whole entire scheme. Like, we give you X amount of dollars, you know, to come here to get your signature. Like, I mean, I I mean, you know, that that's the reason why we got a five-star quarterback to sign with this class. So, like, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that, like, you should 
if you set up, it's kind of like a bonus system at work. Like when you say you climb the tier, it's like, okay, you make this many sales, you hit this structure. You make this many sales, you hit this structure. You make this many more, you get this structure. You can still offer them whatever, but we shouldn't just be rewarding, you know, mediocre performance when they get here. No, I mean, I agree. But like at the end of the day, if you're going to try to the way just the way just how the recru recruiting works now is like you've got to offer these kids an X amount of dollars because otherwise they're going to be like, all right, well, if Oregon's going to be offering me more money, why would I go to Tennessee? Like, and it's just, that's just the whole entire pitch now. I mean, that's why, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going to have a lot of guys opting out or like, you know, hitting the portal after they have those one or two year deals, but those, it's not going to be as much as you think it is. Like there's still going to be guys that are going to stay there for three years because they trust and believe, you know, the staff and whatever, but it's just, I mean, it's just the animal. I mean, it's just how it is these days. And I mean, you're not on board. I mean, you're going to be you're going to be left in the dirt unless you're Alabama or Georgia. I mean, it's just that's just the case. And the craziest part, too, is now it's going into high school, which yeah, is see, close yeah, they legalized, they yeah. legalized CSSAA NIL. So that's crazy. That's, also, crazy. that's going to help us, though, in in-state recruiting. So mm -hmm. we got to we got to keep in mind that we come from a very biased standpoint of our undying loyalty to the university. We're right, and bro. these some of these kids, I mean, like, like it or love it, they they don't have that. You know, I mean, they maybe they are coming just for the plans to the chance to play high level college football. Maybe they're coming for just the chance to to make some money off an NIL deal and they get drafted and get out of here. You know, some of them might just be buying their time because they're so good and they're going to get out of here and make millions in the league. But like That's us, crazy. I mean, we went through some shit with this team. You know what I'm saying? Nice. This nice. school, this university and all sports. I mean, like we were there in the highs. We were there in the lows. Like and we're going to be there tomorrow. We're going to be there yesterday. We're going to be there the day after. So, I mean, like. Our, our loyalty to the school was unmatched. So, I mean, if they gave us we, – we'd be like that one player, I forget who he plays for now, but he's got like nine years of college football that he'd been, he been doing, you know what I'm saying? That dude who got all that eligibility from like uh, medical waivers and then COVID and all that stuff, that would be us playing. We'd be playing till the dang wheels fall off, you know? So, I don't know. No, I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like, but you got – I mean – at the end of the day, you got to understand from their perspective too. Trust me, if I, you know, if I was a recruit at 16, 17 years old and I had a school like, you know, as much as I love Tennessee, they're like, okay, we'll give you this X amount and like NIL, but like you're going to have this structure where like you're going to have to have these stats and this performance and these wins in order to get this more. Or Texas A&M is going to be like, I'm going to give you $5 million right now. I mean, you're going to go what, immediately. You're going to go with all that every single time so yeah. it, that's true but it preys on it preys on kids who are just going to think about money and that's just the thing but, it's like, who but, do they have to help them out do they want to develop like no one wants to admit this but this is how always college football's been it's just this is the first time in an age where they're open about it think about like smu for example back in the 80s i mean they were getting kids a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars and whatever but like they, they didn't give two fucks if they were developing kids. They didn't care. They just wanted five-star prospects. And this this is how it's always been. How you think Alabama, you know, all these schools get these kids consistently top, in, you know, top five recruiting classes because they offer it. I mean, and it's just how it is. College sports is dirty as hell. It always has been. The only oh, yeah. thing now is that we know about it. We know the figures are into these deals. Yeah, and I guess that's just the thing for me. It's just it's such shocking amounts of money. It's just – it's hard to fathom how this is going to go moving forward. I know it's been an argument. I think this has been a great debate, by the way, because everyone has offered completely different opinions and ideas. So 
before, I guess we're almost to the end and we've got to go back to our game and figure out what we're going to do and what everyone's predictions are. I think the over-under is at 63 and a half. Clemson's a five and a half point favorite. Um, let's go around. Let's get everyone's final predictions. I was going to say we had, we had, uh, we had some people in the, in the chat asking for our predictions. So. Did you want to do your uh, your whole season thing, your list you had, Alex? Or do you want to do this first? We'll do that at the end, yeah. Okay, okay. For my, I, I think, obviously, um, the opt-out, it's not even an opt-out on defense, just the guys that know who to play. Being without Jeremy Banks, that's going to be a huge question mark and all. We saw what happened when we played against South Carolina. Uh, Clemson obviously played them, too. So a little foe-and-foe competition to go back and kind of watch the film. It's going to be a different kind of competition playing against an ACC school since we played Pitt in week two. I think this Clemson team is the best they've been. Obviously, Kate Klubnick, really special guy, guy that's going to go out there and shine, going to be able to, you know, put points on the board and find his receivers. I think he's going to be able to dash his defense up. But I think that our linebackers, we're going to find out a bunch about our defense. We have, luckily, Byron Young and Tyler, uh, Tyler Baring, Aaron Beasley all announcing they're coming back. Jawan Mitchell's expected to play, so – Jawan Mitchell and Aaron Beasley, they're going to have to have Elijah Herring and other guys like Solon Page and Caleb Perry stepping up there. I think the offense is going to be able to go out there and put points on the board. I think it's going to go back to what I said earlier. Does Joe connect in the, you know, the first few drives, the big plays, the big passes? Does he get the points on the board? If Tennessee can go out there and get points early, I think they can you know force a shootout. If Joe can be consistent, I think Tennessee has a chance to win this game. I think the defense is going to obviously have to show up and not allow 63 but they're going to have to be good enough. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be great. They don't have to be good. They can be terrible. They just have to be good enough. This is going to be a shootout game. It's a New Year's Six Bowl, all the hype. I think Vol Nation is going to show out. I think we're going to have a kind of a home game feeling. And I think that's going to kind of help us in the defense a little bit. I think these New Year's Six Bowls, teams go in. They're evenly matched. Both teams have opt-outs. This is more of an even game than I think people think it is, just be, you know, with Tennessee's opt-outs. I think we go in there and give them a fight. I think Tennessee goes in and wins this game, just in my opinion. What's your I'm going to say, uh, yeah, Tennessee, um, 38, Clemson, 34. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna keep my same stance as I said earlier. I have zero expectations for this game. I just want to go out, compete, keep the momentum running from this season into the next. Uh, keep that hopper offense looking nice and shiny. Uh, we saw what it did for Hook. We saw what it did for Hyatt. We saw what it's done for our running backs. I just want to see that continue on under a change into the guards, under quarterback, uh, at receiver. I want to see our defense step up and make plays because these are going to be a lot of the people that we're carrying in the next season as well. Um, the one thing that does concern me is Clemson's backup quarterback. Well, I guess starting quarterback now that DJ's gone, he seems pretty solid. Um, and this will be the first time we get a really good look at him in a, in a big stakes game, I guess, quote unquote. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he performs. But I hate to do it. But I'm I'm going to take Clemson in this one, and I'm going to say 35-27 Clemson. Yeah, I, you know, as much as Banks has been frustrating the last four or five weeks, I think he's going to be a huge loss for us. I have zero faith in our defense. I think our secondary is trash, and I think we're going to be way too reliant on Aaron Beasley and Jawan Mitchell in the linebacker position. Um, I mean, I think we're going to be able to score points, but I just don't have any faith in Joe Milton. I just don't think he can get it done. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he, I hope he balls out like you know has over 400 yards total offense, and I hope he proves me wrong. But gut feeling, 45-35 Clemson. All right, um, 
I'm kind of with Alex and the fact that I have zero expectations really for this game. I'm more excited that we even made it to a bowl appearance like this um, in reflection of where we started the season, our first predictions for the whole season. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot to reflect on and me being away for a little bit just made me realize like how big of a deal it is to actually get to watch a bowl game like this for the first time in several years. Um, it's huge. So I'm just trying to soak that all in. In terms of my gut feelings, I felt like this whole time that Clemson was going to win. But for me, just trying to be um, speaking things into existence, I'm going to change. I'm going to make sure my prediction still is balls winning. So, and it's funny, I gave Brando a look because he said 38-34 and mine is 38-35. So, that's where I'm at. I just appreciate Brando changing the banner real quick for us. (laughs) Well, as I'm typing that out, you over here predicting that, and I'm like, dang. I know, I know. know. Chill out, chill out, chill out. It's kind of tough. All in all, man, uh, I'm just excited for the trip. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, being down there in Miami (laughs) with Vol Nation. Nice little vacation. It's going to be nice to be in Hard Rock. The most orange and the most, you know, a college kid has seen a fan base in a Miami football stadium. Uh, it's going to be the Tennessee Vols. And, I mean, let's just go out there and have fun. Obviously, the Catholics for the season. I know I predicted 10 and 2. I didn't think that we'd be, you know, in the Orange Bowl with Clemson. Obviously, everything this season went our way that we wanted to happen. We controlled our destiny. And that's, you know, the best we could have asked for. Let's go out there, close it off get a huge win, have fun doing it. I know a lot of the uh, Vol Twitter alumni is going to be there. So me and Alex going to have a little fun. I think the Spire tailgate's even going to be there. And y'all know those guys at Spire take care of us. So I think me and Alex going to have a little good time. Uh, overall excited, man. I don't care what anyone says. I'm expecting a win. I think this is a, a game of chess and Josh Heupel is ready no matter what. So taking the Vols, ready to have fun and, you know, put a, an explanation mark in the future. I mean, exactly. And I think as we at the end of the day, this has been such a fun football season and so many incredible memories, you know, whether it was the Florida win, Checker Nealon or, you know, last second field goal against Alabama or, you know, beating the hell out of the fucking Bayou Bengals and Death Valley. Been so many incredible moments. This has been such fun too. And I think this, I mean, you know, just to top it off with the New Year's Six Bowl first appearance in the Orange Bowl since 97 season. It's just been it's been a lot of fun, and it's going to be a fun, fun next few years of Josh Heupel. That's for sure. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Alex, got anything? I got I got our uh, our our final review of our preseason stuff, so we know we know who's. uh, Well, I guess I know (laughs) going on a date with a blow up doll. But first, I just want to get my last piece in. It's 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 so sweet that this whole season I've missed games. Because I've been down here and they've been up there, and we finally played it out. Lord, Lord, thank the man above that he brought them down here to me for once. Because I've been down here three years, and I've been one of like three Tennessee fans. I've converted a few since I've been in school, but like, I, I mean, I can't tell y'all how excited I am on my last year here. We come down here. I, I really don't give a dang. Like, I, I was so excited to go to the Asheville Airport this morning because half of my plane was wearing Tennessee orange. Everybody oh, yeah. I passed, every row I stopped at, I said, give me a go balls, dapped them up, and went back to my seat in seat 29C because <laughs> I don't I don't pay for higher seats. Of course. So of course. no, I've just I've had a blast this whole time. When Brando gets down here, I got some more friends coming down here. I mean, I can't wait to see this whole area painted orange. Uh, I mean, I could I really couldn't have asked for more. This this thing's been fun. 
So I'd love to see us go out with a win, but I mean, like like we said, keep it in perspective. We've had a great time this season, so we'll we'll see if I make it down there. I might get the the Brittany. Hey, chill, chill, chill. don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. You guys better say to CG as well. He's going to be there. Uh, hey, I need to. I missed him at the Florida game. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely link with CG in the Miami and the South Beach. Um, don't want to get the Brittany Griner effect. I think overall, man, <laughs> I'm supposed to get on a plane with Sandoval. If I ride with the plane with Sandoval, man, going down to Fort Lauderdale, that's going to be lit. going to be happy. Uh, I'm predicting a W, man, and just excited to be in, in South Beach, man. The weather here is shit, and I, I'm excited to be on the beach. So. Hell yeah. Alex, hit us with the news. So what was, what was uh, Tennessee's final record this season? Uh, ten and two. What did I predict? Ten and two. So that eliminates one person, and his name is Brando. Dang. So there were there were three of us that were. <laughs> there were three Low and Drew, and what it basically came down to was the point differential. Um, somebody said that we would score five fifty two. Somebody said that we would score five. Let's see. Wait, who's that? Five seventy three, and then somebody else said we would score four seventy four. And the Vols ended up scoring 568. So the winner is your boy. <laughs> you gotta go on the date. Oh no, shot. I had I don't I don't know what I was thinking. I was lowballing all these scores. As I was like following along this season, I was like, dang, we hang we hung another 60 piece. I was like, I only said 40 something. Okay. So I honestly there's no better time than to do it when Brando's here. So hopefully by tomorrow, that's Friday, or tomorrow, sometime, yeah. sometime by Sunday. That's this coming Sunday. We'll have the content. I will have. I'm to, sure Miami has the perfect amount of storage for second. I would be willing to bet that I could find at least one blow up doll in this area. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that. Is it? Is it a nice a little candle thing? dinner? Um, we'll probably go to IHOP or something. You know, something really fancy. Whoa. I want to I want to break the bank a little bit. Um, but yeah, so. I'm hey. I'm the loser. I guess the winner. I don't know whatever you want to call it, but just, just stay tuned for that because I'm going on a date. I love it. Oh my god, I'm I am so really happy. I'm happy. I fucking missed that. I'm really happy. <laughs> I did score prediction. I didn't know we did point predictions. I don't even remember that. We had to break it down that way, just as a tiebreaker. A tiebreaker. I physically do not remember that at the Skybox show. I just I just don't recall. You couldn't expect all three of us going on a date with a blow-up doll. I mean, that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> <laughs> triple date, triple date. <laughs> all right, guys. It's been fun. I've been so happy to be back. Um, it feels really good. Let's just stay excited. Don't you know, suck it all in. Remember that the Vols finished top 10. Incredible season. Some of literally the best moments of my life. The best road games that I've ever been on. Um, all of this came this season. Uh, so much to look back on and be happy for. So much to look forward to in the future. And I hope that, like you said, it's painted in orange, but mostly Tennessee orange. And stay tuned for all of the content of Alex on his blow-up doll date for the punishment uh, from our several months ago. So lots to look forward to. And uh just feeling grateful and happy rolling into the into the long weekend. And uh, that's all I've got. So I guess good night and go balls, guys. Wait, one thing. One thing. Yeah. As we've said a bunch of times, me and Brenda will be there. So we'll be trying to let everybody know where we are. If you want to come, stop in, say, hey, 
have a beer, take a shot, do whatever. We'll be there. We'll be having a good time. So welcome to the 305. Miami snow. Miami snow, baby. Miami snow. Don't lose your teeth. <laughs> no, man. It's your fault, man. You're a terrible person. All right. Good night and go balls, baby. Good night. Go balls. Go balls, baby.